days a week to have, or when we went to big churches and you had offerings and you had, you know, ushers at each end of the aisle and you passed the plate down this way and then that guy took it and passed the plate back down that way. Uh, we used to do things like that. Um, so this morning, um, let's see, and uh, kids, you guys can be dismissed to class. Eli, if you wouldn't mind uh, putting this slide up for me, it should be ready for you. Um, this morning, I don't intend to take very long. In fact, I'm going to try to keep it down to about 30 to 40 minutes, which, uh, thank you very much, which uh, you guys probably, yeah, Eli got it, uh, which if you don't know me, uh, then that may not mean to even be a relative term. Long might mean completely relative, but for us, that's a pretty abbreviated sequence. Um, and I want to do that because I feel really strongly that we are to... Um, take communion this morning as we've been doing and uh, we're gonna we're gonna be looking this morning at a study um, out of the book of Exodus and um, we're gonna uh, we're gonna look at a few different things but the, the the basis of our study this morning is that um, there are things in life that if we don't recognize, become masters to us. Life can become a slavery in many ways. Um, and um, so before we before we get going, though, I'd like to read from um, the great psalmist, Mr. Rogers, um, who is at the top of your sheet. And um, this is a quote from uh, Fred Rogers, which if some of you guys don't know this, Mr. Rogers, who I grew up watching on the regular, um, is actually a, a pastor. Um, he, um, uh, I think he was a Presbyterian pastor, if I remember correctly. Um, and so, um, not that that really matters to the story, I just wanted to mention that, okay? Um, so, Fred Rogers says, as human beings, our job in life is to help people realize how rare and valuable each one of us really is that each of us has something no one else has or will ever have, something inside that is unique to all of kind. It is our job to encourage one another to discover the uniqueness and to provide ways of discovering its expression. It is our job as human beings to re uh, recognize and to promote the uniqueness and the beauty and really the belonging that we have with each other. That's our job. You know, I, I've grown up in church, and so I've heard tons and tons of reasons of why it's not okay to sing. And I think I've been to two churches that have been created to hear that sermon. You know, created for what? I don't know. There's lots of reasons through the years that we've been created. But, you know, I think that primarily we were created to be relational. We were created to be in relationship. We were created to be in relationship with God, who is our creator, and we were created to be in relationship with one another. And that encompasses everything. You weren't created to read the Bible. You should read it. You weren't created to sing worship songs. You should do that. You weren't created to pray. You should do that. You were created to be relational. most of my Christian life, this idea um, that we're going to talk about this morning, which in some ways kind of sets the stage, has um, been something that has 
absolutely been weird to me. I, I've had a hard time understanding it. I've wrestled with it. Um, and um, we're going to talk a little bit this morning about the term Sabbath. Um, for most of my Christian life, I have had questions regarding the Sabbath. In fact, the Sabbath is one of the most emphasized uh, phrases or themes of the Old Testament. The term Sabbath is used 176 times in the Old Testament alone. That's a lot. That's more than the Bible has to say anywhere. <laughs> so it is a huge theme of the Bible, and yet here I am in 2018 trying to understand what it means. Why is it there? Why is it a theme? In fact, as a pastor, it's always been extremely, um, oh gosh, uh, almost an oxymoron that Sunday is the Sabbath. Because as a pastor, let me tell you, Sunday is not a day of rest. Sunday is the opposite of a day of rest. In fact, um, in the old days when we used to have Sunday morning and Sunday night, because that's when you were really going to heaven, um, you had to go to church twice on Sunday to really go to heaven. Um, and, and then, you know, actually, to really go to heaven, you have to go to church on Sunday morning, be mean to your waiter, waitress, server, etc. at lunch Sunday afternoon, and then go back to church. So you can repent for how you've treated the people in public in between services. Um, but in the midst of that, there was nothing less restful than Sunday. And yet, as a pastor, I've internally wrestled with this idea of Sabbath because I see that it's in the Bible a bunch, a whole bunch. And so I've always had this thought, like, what does it really mean? As a religion often does, what we have found, I've said this a few times in the last few weeks, a reli uh, religion, not a specific religion, but a, a spiritual system where man tries to understand or interpret God. A religious system, okay? Religious systems will frequently, in lack of understanding, ask the wrong question. You can always tell when people are looking at something from a religious standpoint because they ask the wrong question. We talked on Thursday night about Jesus turning water to wine. And it was amazing to me how we looked through that and how that set the stage for Jesus' entire ministry. However, the only question I grew up asking about that story was, was it Welch's or was it a Bordeaux? Because Jesus clearly wouldn't have created anything with wine, because obviously, you know, that leads to all kinds of things, you know, getting, getting knocked up. Um, and so, that's what I say. Uh, and so, what I recognize is so many times you can you can immediately see religion's fingerprints or a man-made system's fingerprints on something when it asks the wrong question so we look at something as incredible as jesus creating i think we, what did we say 900 gallons of wine 900 gallons of wine is what he created for the wedding feast just to keep the party going that's jesus Jesus is the guy at the party that wants to keep it going, just to be clear. And so in the midst of that moment, that guy, we look at that story and we're like, yeah, but I think it was grape juice. Religion causes us to ask the wrong question. And so what we did 
is we ask the wrong questions about the Sabbath. And I'll speak for myself. I'm going to give you a few things that I have thought and, and a few things that maybe you've heard before. So questions about the Sabbath. We ask the wrong questions when trying to apply or observe the Sabbath. We ask questions like, is it on Saturday or on Sunday? That's a question we ask. And that becomes a big thing. There are some religions that feel like it has to be on Saturday and some religions it has to be on Sunday. And if you, uh, if you uh, um, follow the Jewish calendar, it's on Saturday. And if you follow the Protestant calendar, calendar, it's on Sunday. And if you're Catholic, it's just, you know, fish on Friday and who knows, they do other stuff through the week. And so what you find about the idea of Sabbath is it becomes, is church on Saturday or is the Sabbath on Sunday? Or is it better on Sunday to go out to eat or eat at home? I've actually heard people preach entire messages about Sabbath saying, is it the day of rest? So is it better for you to cook at home? That way you're not causing somebody else to not be able to rest on the Sabbath. You're not taking the Sabbath from them. Or is it better to go out and let all those who are clearly already going to hell anyway because they're working on Sundays and they weren't at church serve me so that I can observe the Sabbath? It's like it's like the uh, it's like the Elaine and Cuddy conversation where they talk to the priest and he's like, well, we're already going to hell anyway. You know, it's like that thing. Well, it's like, well, all these people clearly don't give a, you know, about God. And so it, it, they're here working on Sunday and they weren't at church like they were supposed to be. So why do we even have to worry? So let's go let them serve us so we can be in rest. And then let's demonstrate the fact that I just left church and got really filled up and my freaking drink isn't filled up. And so what you find when you look through this is those questions happen. Do we organize special events? One of the, the things I was reading about the religions that feel like you have to organize special events that happen on Sunday because that commemorates that day of holy. And, and I mean outside of church services even where you have to have special things. And, and this can be lots of things. It can be bar mitzvahs or it can be uh, whatever type of services that apply to your custom or ceremonial ritual, but it can also be something as simple as one of the big things that happen now in these mega churches are they have rock wall climbing or they have sea sports in their church. There is a church in, uh, in Colorado that has, I think they have now 13 restaurants in the church building. So you can zip line, rock climb, go to Applebee's, and never have to leave the church. Throw up, I guess, actually. I should have clarified that. Throw up and, and still never have to leave the church. That's the thing. That's what, so that's how we commemorate the Sabbath. Which there is nothing more appealing to me than a good old rock climb and an Applebee's. But I love Chili's as much as the next red-blooded American that feels like throwing up. But the reality of it is, is we organize these special events and we say that that's the Sabbath. Or are we supposed to take a nap? Are we supposed to take a nap on Sunday? Because Sunday is rest day, so we go to church and then we get home and then we take a nap. And that's what it means to be the Sabbath. These questions and many others have plagued this holy day. Enter the modern Western culture in which ultimately says it's just the day you're supposed to go to church. But it has to be more than that, right? It has to be more. Do you 
think honestly that when God was laying out the Bible, he said, you know, I think 170 times I'm just going to reference this really vague term, but ultimately it just means if, if you're a red-blooded American Western Christian, you take this one. And everybody else So let's read from the book of Exodus, and then I'm going to give you a synopsis of it, um, uh, but Exodus 16, 22 um, through 45. This is the first time that the word Sabbath is mentioned in the Bible, and this is a directive from God. This is God speaking and gives them this directive that they're to observe the Sabbath, and in the midst of this Sabbath conversation, on the sixth day, they are called to gather twice as much If you remember, they're in the midst of the wilderness. Manna falls from heaven. That's how they eat. Bread falls from heaven. I love the fact that manna literally means in Hebrew, what is it? That's what that word means. What is it? So they went out outside of their tent and they gathered. What is it? Um, I think that actually kind of transitioned later into our culture and and what it is. Um, But they went out and gathered that on the ground. And on, on the sixth day, they had to gather twice as much because you weren't supposed to go gather on Sunday. Sabbath rest. So they were to gather twice as much. And the thing that was interesting is that it would not go bad. So normally if you gather too much, the next day there were maggots and, and nasties. But what would happen on the sixth day is if you gathered twice as much to provide for the seventh day, nothing happened to it. God preserved it somehow supernaturally. And some of the people were having a hard time with this. So Moses told them, hey, you're not supposed to gather too much because then they would start stockpiling on the other six days because they didn't believe there would be enough on the sixth day to take care of it on the seventh. So they, they had this really good idea. They're like, well, maybe if I get a little bit more on the first day, a little bit more on the second day, and a little bit more on the third day, because what happens if, I, if God doesn't give double on the sixth day? Then on the seventh day, there it is. And so... That, you know, all of a sudden it becomes a fast. And so they're, they're like, we don't want that to happen. But what Moses says is, no, because if, as these days that you've gathered excess, first of all, it's a demonstration of a lack of trust. Second of all, what happens is that it becomes infested. And Moses says, you can't do that. So what he says is in verse 26, because today is the Sabbath day to the Lord, you will not find any of it on the ground. Six days uh, you're to gather, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of you went out on the seventh day to gather, but you found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you at least keep my commandments and instruct them? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That's important. I'm going to reference that later. So verse 30, the people rested on the seventh day. And the people of Israel called the bread manna, which is... It was like coriander seed. It tasted like wafers made with honey. Like a cheater. Um, And so, without the meat. Uh, Verse 33, yeah. Uh, So Moses told Aaron, take uh, a jar and put some manna in it. And we're going to keep that and demonstrate it for generations to come. That's the last thing I want to mention from this text before we talk a little bit about what it means. This is the first mention of the word Sabbath in the Bible. But... Let's put a pin in that for a moment. Let's put a pin in the Sabbath talk for the moment. Let's just talk about Exodus. Many Jewish scholars consider Exodus to be the first book of the Bible. All of a 
probably know that Genesis is composed of the book of the Bible, but the reason that many Jewish scholars consider Exodus to be the first book of the Bible is the Bible is the defining, uh, that book of the Bible, Exodus, is the defining liberation of the people of God, and Genesis is the backstory. Exodus is them getting free. Genesis is how they got home. So oftentimes what Jewish scholars will do is they'll read Exodus and then say, okay, now let's reference Genesis to get the backstory so we can see how did they get here? How did all this really happen? And the thing that's interesting is in the Exodus story, you find the people that God has chosen to partner with being delivered and liberated from slavery. And you learn a lot of really unique things about God in the midst of this. You actually learn, in my opinion, in the book of Exodus, how God works, what salvation is, and to what length he will go to partner with us. In Exodus, we first find God as the one who sets us free. And he demonstrates to us that he is always interested in setting people free. That's who he is. So we find for him the first view or glimpse of salvation in Exodus. We find the first glimpse of what it means for God to partner. Because if you remember these miracles that God's doing, he's working with people. You know, remember, uh, if you haven't, I'm sure it's going to be on TV here coming up soon. The Ten Commandments, you see Moses takes the rod, takes it down, puts it under a snake, puts it back up. All that stuff, Red Sea, water's turned to blood, all that crazy stuff that's happening. God's not doing that on his own. He's partnering with the people. And God indicates and showcases, directly shows his intention to save, and we're going to talk about what that means, but or to liberate and then to partner as a result of that liberation. So within the Jewish faith, this is not an abstract or philosophical thing, but a very real liberation from a very real oppression. From the beginning, we find faith is liber- liberation from what has us in oppression or bondage. I'm going to say that again. Faith is freedom from what has us in bondage or oppression. Faith is liberation from bondage. And it has, it includes, but is not encompassed by you getting to go to heaven when you die. Because what I thought was Bondage was, I'm not saved. Freedom was, I am saved. We have issues with the word saved. I almost wish you would stop using it. I really wish we would just take it out of the Christian realm. Because as soon as you say saved, there's all these weird things. As soon as you say saved, what we think it means is, have you prayed a prayer? And are you going to heaven? Which is really messed up, because that's not what it means at all. It means, have you been liberated, and are you being made whole? See, Jesus didn't come so you can go to heaven. Jesus came so you can be alive. Jesus came to show us life. That's why Jesus' first miracle is keeping the party going. Because Jesus came to, to show you what a party looks like. And I'm not saying all that weird stuff where, like, Jesus gets me high. All that stuff gets on my nerves. 
I'm not talking about that, okay? Jesus is not my crackpot. What I'm saying is that Jesus came to give you life and life more abundant. I don't have a crack pipe, just in case. This is on Facebook, so I should clarify. N- nothing else is also my crack pipe, just to be clear. Uh, it's a metaphoric crack pipe. And so when we're talking about what it would mean to be saved, it is not an event that now all of a sudden I've got my ticket, like a Willy Wonka's fact chocolate factory comes to you. I've got the golden ticket. What this is is a journey. It is a journey of being liberated more and more and more and coming alive more and more and more. Because the Bible doesn't ever say that Jesus came to save you from hell. It says he came to save you from death. Not saying hell wasn't part of the bargain. But what I, I, I am saying is he came to make you alive. Irenaeus that the glory of God is man fully alive. He came to liberate you and to show you what life can really feel like and be like. So this idea of God as the liberator is first seen in Exodus. This is why we have to understand how the Jews would see it. See, the Jews would say salvation is being rescued from whatever you need to be rescued from at any given moment. Okay, I'm, I'm in the club. Until you do a few bad things, and then you have to get re-in the club. I've done that my whole life. I've gotten re-in the club like six times in one day because I really wasn't sure of every step. I felt like I lost my ticket, so I had to pray it again. Jesus, come into my heart. I feel you're knocking on the door. Now I can go to heaven. That's not how this works. So what the theologians actually say, Jewish theologians, I found this quote that I was reading in this Jewish book, and it says, Jewish theologians have said, some days I am actually more saved than others. Why? Because it's about liberation. It's about freedom. It's about breaking bonds that would oppress us or hold us back. And not saying in any way that we're weighing our eternal life belonging. But some days I'm more saved than others because you're experiencing the overcoming that is freedom. And I don't know about you, but there's some days that I'm more free than other days. So some days I'm more saved than other days. Doesn't mean I'm not going to go to heaven those days. Doesn't mean that I don't love God those days. It certainly doesn't mean he doesn't love me. But what it means is I'm constantly in the pathway of my water becoming wine, of my death becoming life, of my bondage becoming freedom. And if you think that's a one-time Matrix-style red pill, blue pill experience, you're on a different path than I can find in the Bible. This idea, the gospel, old and new, is about liberation. This brings us to the Exodus story for this morning. It is one of the greatest freedom stories in history, but as all freedom stories, they have to begin with bondage. The primary job of Hebrew slaves was to build. And day after day, they toiled to make bricks. Bricks, 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 not bricks, bricks. Every day, bricks. They would get up in the morning, they made bricks. They would come home, they would go to sleep. They would get up the next morning, make bricks. This is the life of a Hebrew slave. And in fact, 
their value was determined by the Pharaoh or the slave master and how well they knew business. Their value or their worth was determined by their production. As you can imagine, from the vantage point of Pharaoh, the slave master, he didn't want to have slaves that he had to house and to feed and to clothe who weren't productive for what he needed. So the idea of being a Jewish slave was quite simply making more bricks. And why did they make bricks? Here's the interesting thing. The role as the brick makers served to build monuments to Pharaoh's great fame, power, and ultimately his ego. You see, Pharaoh was the most powerful man in the world, and he ruled with an iron fist. But fear is what clearly ruled Pharaoh. Fear that he wouldn't be remembered. Fear that he wouldn't be as great as his predecessor. Fear that he would not attain the afterlife greatness he was told he was destined for. So day after day after day, the Hebrews made bricks. And within this system, their worth, their, their entire life's worth, was completely tied up in the ability to produce within the system of bondage to Pharaoh's ego. Can you imagine this type of bondage, where every day is the same bondage as the last day? This system creates an atmosphere of despair and hopelessness, whereby you give up on the possibility of change. That is bondage. And interestingly, God comes in, obviously, as he does. He sends Moses, the liberator. Moses liberates the people of Israel. And do you realize that that's where Sabbath comes in? Because after the children of Israel, the Hebrew people, are liberated from the bondage of Pharaoh and the bondage of brick-making and the bondage of the toil that they've had for hundreds of years, what God does is he, the first thing he tells them is, I want you, now in the wilderness, separate from your bondage, to have a day of rest called Sabbath. This was incredibly significant. This actually newfound freedom God shows them a new way. In this newfound freedom, God shows them a new way, a cycle or movement called Sabbath. This was very significant. You see, in Egypt, or bondage, they were always doing. In fact, you could define them as human doings, but they weren't human beings. They didn't know how to be. They just know how to do. Make bricks. Make bricks. You get up the next day and you make bricks. Your life is a life of bondage and absolute service. So God begins to shape them, and within them, he begins to shape this newly freed people with a consciousness of a new way of being. He tells them to start with taking one day a week to rest. Take one day a week to remind you that you are a human being, not a human doing. Take one day a week to remind yourself that your value is secure. Your affirmation is firmly rooted in the liberator, and there's no production needed to live in your salvation. That's the purpose for the Sabbath. In Egypt, there was no rhythm to life. Every day was bricks, 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 bricks. The Sabbath life is a way of being in rhythm, a way of being in life, and of recognizing our place as affirmation in the Creator who demonstrated this pre uh, principle to us in creation. 
I don't need to remind you God wasn't tired on the seventh day of creation when he rested. He needed weary. He was demonstrating to us the rhythm for life. One of my favorite Jewish theologians, Abraham Joshua Heschel, who was actually the man that marched with Dr. King in the, in the famous Selma march. Um, he's the one that stood alongside of him. He was a Jewish rabbi at the time. And he, um, I love his quote. He says that that was one of the holiest days we've ever, he's ever experienced. He said, I felt like my feet as I marched back home on this freezing day. Abraham Joshua Heschel says, the Sabbath is designed to be the day that gives the universe the spiritual energy it takes to keep going for another six days. Sabbath is a day when you act like all the work is done, even though you know it's not. Jesus actually said he regarded the Sabbath rest as a gift for us. He said the people aren't for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for the people. It's a gift this holy way. In fact, if you remember, God said at the beginning, here's my Sabbath, keep it holy. It's a holy rhythm. They are can transcend brickmaking. And brickmaking can be many things. To me, brickmaking can be our jobs. It can be our CDs. It can be our um, demands in life. It can be our families. It can be our responsibilities and tasks. But I would regard brickmaking as any activity that isn't relational. Any activity that isn't relational. Because as much as we try to supplement, devices and social connections do not count in this category. They are insufficient replacements for staring someone in the face, looking them in the eye, and feeling with them. Because face-to-face has always been his intent for us. And it's my belief that this is the deepest and realest way we are designed to connect with any relational part of creation or our creator. Face-to-face is the way we're designed to connect. And FaceTime and MySpace doesn't today, this isn't normal. We have our information routines, the news in the morning, which reminds me of another suggestion. I would like to suggest that you try a fast. I would like to suggest for all of us that like to read the news, try a fast. And I'll give you two ways to try it. Either take a week and don't read the news or take a week. And here's what I would actually prefer. I think one of the healthiest, healthiest things we can do in a partisan American news culture is read a different source. Whatever cable news network you like, listen to another one for an entire week. Or even better, get a paper. Get a paper. Get something you can touch. Because I'm here to tell you, I don't care what you watch, what you listen to, or what you read. It all is an echo chamber if you only have that. It's going to reinforce what you already think and make your fears worse. If you listen to one side 
we are Kim, Kim Jong-un is our new president because Trump handed him the keys to the White House. And if you listen to the other side, then uh, Obama is still trying to get back in the White House. And what I would ultimately suggest to you is we need sometimes to step away from those things. So my first suggestion would be just step away. And then it would probably also be healthy to find other sources. Read the Washington Post. Read the New York Times. Read the L.A. Times. Read the San Diego Sentinel-Tribune. Read Newsweek. Read something else. But if it's on paper, you could probably just not go. Here's a good one. Don't leave your phone. It's amazing to me how places and others across the pond have a much better perspective about what's going on here than we do. Just amazing. So when you're seeing this, we all have our routine. We have our, our rituals, our knees in the morning. We have our, our Facebook that we check. We get up in the morning, we get our phone out. And we check and see, here. hey, what's, what's going on? What's happened here? Recently, I was reminded of an advertisement for a cell phone. Eli, I was thinking about you when I, when I saw this, not because of anything other than I thought you would appreciate this and maybe remember it. Um, I was reminded of an advertisement for a cell phone. In the ad, the company was comparing what their phone did with what the other phones wouldn't do. The new feature was that it had in the screen, uh, excuse me, had a screen on the back of the phone so that you could get alerts, messages, and calls. You would see them even when your phone was flipped over so that you wouldn't be discouraged. Let me just clarify how far we've fallen. So there's now a phone whose selling feature is to disrupt you when you're intentionally trying to not be disrupted. And here's how far logic has fallen. If you really don't mind being disrupted, don't turn your phone over. Like, there's already one screen there. And so all you would need to do is just leave it face up in the first place. You wouldn't need to add a second screen in the back that they could charge you more for in the first place. But that's what's happened. And can you imagine the ludicrous nature of a cell phone company saying, hey, nobody else's phones will interrupt you when you don't want to be interrupted, but we will. That's a great tactic. And, and that's the idea. That's what's happened in our society. And so while the, 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 the Egyptians bound the, G, uh, the, the Jewish and Hebrew people to making bricks, making bricks, making bricks. I would suggest that there are many of us that are bound to a different type of brick. It's this 4.7 inch antenna. The brick that we freak out if we can't find it. Here's a good question for you. If you lose it, do you lose it? If you lose your phone, do you lose it? rhythm where we never rest. We're always on. We're always connected. We're always 
finding there's something out there I've got to read. And it could be some of those stupid Satanists. I mean, I, I used to find myself reading the dumbest stuff. I'd be on Huffington Post looking at what politicians own farm animals. You know, they have all these weird lists. You know, how many, you know, what, uh, in what year did the Chicago Bulls change their jersey? Like, who cares? But that's just what happens if you allow it. And none of those things really matter. But those are our modern day gifts. Those are what prevent us from saying yes. Because I don't care what people say. And I, I, I believe I have psychological study to back it up. Social connections are not relationships. And, and I'm not saying they can't still be benefit. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong. I personally think Facebook is just a dumpster fiery goo. That's just my opinion. Uh, but I know there are benefits from it. I know there are benefits with cell phones. I have a cell phone. I love the fact that I can, if I'm, uh, if I'm somewhere in Haney, Louisiana, last night we were trying to get out to Heritage Lake, and I don't know if you've ever driven to the Bermuda Triangle, but that's what Heritage Lake is. And so I was, I, I, I've been out there like 50 times, and every time I have to get out my phone and do directions. So I'm really grateful because I, I don't think they make a map. I think they hired a map maker, and he's like, <laughs> yeah, see ya. Heritage Lake doesn't, you can't do that in Heritage Lake. There's this thing that goes this way, and then all these other that go the other way. None of them make sense. And you could easily end up in Avon or, like, I don't know, Rockville. But I know I had my phone. I got there safely. So I'm not, I know I sound like a New York love addict saying, oh, we don't need any modernity. We don't need any. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is it something that begins to hold us and take away from us the precious moments where we do have to be in love? Because I would like to suggest to you that Sabbath is not the end of it. Sabbath is a lifestyle and a rhythm of knowing how to love. It's not, it, and I keep using the word rhythm because I'm using that on purpose. They didn't have a rhythm when they were making bricks. Everything was the same. As Ashley said during her testimony, it was a flat line. You got up, you made bricks. You went to bed. You got up, you made bricks. There's a rhythm to life that we are called to be in. There's space to breathe. And so when you're looking at what is happening, I, I get it. There's emergencies. There's things that happen. But have you noticed that oftentimes when you're unavailable, you don't have reception, whatever's happening, and you're unavailable, they can't get to you. Somebody sends you a text that it's, it's urgent. Something's going on. And you're not able to get to it for, for a period of time because you don't have reception, whatever. By the time you get to it, have you noticed how many times that they reply back and go, oh, it's fine, we figured it out. So even the argument that this thing that never goes off is so that people can get in touch with us for emergencies, most emergencies are still on their way. Do you remember when you used to be running five minutes late to be somewhere and you didn't text them, I'll be there in five minutes, you just showed up in five minutes and everybody was okay? And it's amazing to me because I've been standing around with people and they're like, I'll be there in two minutes. Well, by the time I get it, you're usually here. And quite frankly, I didn't realize you were late until you told me you'd be here in two minutes. Now I look at the time and you're like, am I late? Am I tardy? And so when you're looking at this idea, that's what it is. 
And a lot of us have these things. We get emails every day. We get texts. We get calls. All the things to do. And while we complain about it, here's where I really want to point something out about the relational or belonging measure. Because while we complain about it, I complain on an I, I, not redundantly, but I'll say, oh, man, I've got like four people. I have like 40 emails already. You have to say things like that. Or I can't. My phone will just not stop going off. You ever been involved in one of those group texts that you just can't get out of? And you just feel like, oh, my gosh, it just keeps sucking me back in. And I'm like, oh. But here's the thing. If we really looked at ourselves honestly, if we didn't have shame, maybe not day one, maybe not day two, but we would go, we have found our sense of need and belonging with some of these connections. And if you don't believe me, then let me ask you a really dumb and simple question. Have you ever posted something on social media and then went back later to see how many likes, comments, shares, etc. you got? And if you had a bunch, you felt pretty good about it. Are we that fragile? So what I'm suggesting to you is I'm suggesting a restoration of Sabbath as a rhythmic lifestyle. And what that might mean for you might be entirely different. It it is an exodus from our culture. Let me just tell you, exodus means to leave or be liberated. Believe me, what I'm suggesting to you is an exodus from everything around you. It is an exodus from a way of being where when you get home one night a week, or every night a week if you can, you leave your cell phone in the other room. It's not at the table with you while you're eating. Have you ever had that weird thing where you go to lunch with somebody and they pop their cell phone down in between the two of you and then it's going off, and they're, but you're right in the middle of like a deep conversation, and so there's that debate that's going on in your mind. Are they going to look at it? Are they going to look at it? Are they going to look at it? You're burying your soul, and they just got a Twitter alert. Something's going on. Something's wrong with my email. Gmail server's down again. Why? Because there's a sense of need that's there. I don't want to matter. 
So what I would like to suggest is that we find time for rest. Shut it off. Don't turn the TV on. Get in the room with somebody else and look at them in the face till you think of something to say, even if it's your face looks weird. You got to start somewhere. But find people to connect with. Find creation to connect with. Get outside. Because here's the thing. The relational measure of this is him too. So in the same way you look at somebody else face to face and that's the deepest, realest part of relationship where there's blood in the midst of it. There's also this thing where we get alone with him and we're relational. And I don't have my phone alerting me and I don't have other things distracting me. It's just me and him. And if you find him in the midst of the trees blowing in the wind, find him there. But be there. Find a rhythm. And I'm not saying it has to be every day. If you want to start with being one day a week, one hour a day where nothing distracts you, do that. But find a way to get to a rhythm. Find a way to get to a Because it's holy. And Jesus says it's a good thing. The Sabbath is not something that we were created for, but God created it for us. And we need it. We need rest. We need to just find. And rather than being human doings, always doing something. If you try to sit in a chair for more than five minutes and not do something, what happens? get real fidgety real quick. And I'm that guy. Believe me. Last thing I'm going to suggest, I'd like to be practical with you. When you're looking at Exodus, the story, there were those that couldn't do it. Moses was one of them. They couldn't set aside that time. They went out to gather wood and they went out and worked because they couldn't get that mindset. I, I'm telling you, you can get the people out of Egypt, but sometimes it's hard to get Egypt out of the people. You can get people, if I was a real preacher, I'm telling you what, I'd go to town on that and give an ultrasound. Uh, but that idea is something that's going to take, it's going to take discipline. But we need rest. We were created to have that rhythm inside of us. You don't need to be a musician to know when the drum is out of tune. You may not know it. If a guitar player, bass player, or singer hits the wrong note, you may not have a clue. But if the drummer is not in rhythm, everybody knows. There is a rhythm to our life that we were designed for. God has rest. God rests. So whether it means a day a week, and you want to make that day Sunday, do it. But I'm not talking about some religious system that says you can't cook or you can't come back or you can't be at church. What I'm talking about is a rhythm of rest where you learn to be where he needs to be, not a human being. So, one thing I would like to suggest as, as our phones are such a part of our culture, and I appreciate you guys for being at home. Thank you. Um, but one of the things I'd like to suggest is this, and we're going to take communion but one of the things I would like to suggest is, um, you know how you have those moments when you go, when you're in your dentist's office or in a car wash or um, at a restaurant or whatever it is, those things, getting your nails done, you know, whatever it is that you have to go do. Take a book. And if you don't have a book that you're reading right now,
have to do it both ways. That's just the truth. We need that. That's good stimulation. We need that. That should be your first clue that, wait a minute, I've got some spare time. What am I doing with it? I'm not, I'm not being critical. I'm just a person with time going somewhere else. And so take a book. If you'd like book suggestions, I'm happy to suggest books to you. I'm happy to do that. And I'm not saying read War and Peace at the Dennis Hopper. Okay? I don't care if you read Chicken Soup for the Soul. But read something. Do something. You could just do a book. You don't have to do that. Well, you know, try. Yeah, exactly. See, I'm hip. Like, I don't care if you read Everybody Poops and you grab, like, the lightest reading, quickest kids book that you can grab and do that. But something, do something. Take a moment the next time you would grab through your phone and just get busy. Talk to the people in the room. See what people are doing. See if there's a way that you can do it. Once again, Mr. Rogers said, it's our job as human beings to affirm Sometimes the only God they're going to encounter is you and him alone. So let's do that. All right. So we're going to take communion, and I want to invite everybody to come. In fact, if you would like to stand with me, and you're welcome to come, um, and invite everybody to take if you would like.